Hello, this is Justin Coleman, Senior Pastor at University UMC, and this is our podcast. I hope these messages engage your mind, touch your heart, and inspire you to serve God and your neighbor. Check us out online at universityumc.church. Thanks for tuning in. Well, good morning, church. Uh, this week we continue on in our And Can It Be sermon series, a, a sermon series based on the hymn that we sang at the opening of today's service, and we're going to look at that third verse today. As we prepare to do so, please go with me to the Lord in prayer. Our gracious Lord, I pray that you would speak through me, perhaps even in spite of me, and so let the humble words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable and pleasing to you, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. I want to begin by saying a little something about music for uh, a few minutes here. Now, music in the life of a church both lifts us up, uh, helps us to, to know something and to say something, to communicate something about what we believe through song. But it can also be something that divides us tremendously. People have fairly strong musical preferences in church I have discovered over the years. Uh, so, and, and it's even present in, in our church and in our various uh, campuses. People will say, I only do hymns. I only do the hymns like they are in the, in the hymnal. Uh, in fact, in one of my uh, churches, I had people say, you know, this, this new Methodist hymnal, I mean, it's been out for, you know, half a century. Uh, this, this, uh, this new, fang, uh, fang, more than half a century, actually, this new uh, uh, hymnal, I just don't like it. I like the old Cokesbury hymnal. How many of you remember? Raise your hand if you remember the old Cokesbury hymnal. I had people who'd say, look, would you just pick the hymns that are in the new hymnal that were in the old hymnal? That is what we want. Uh, so you have folks who are really focused around hymns, and then you have people who say, look, I really like more contemporary Christian music, the kind that you can listen to on uh, the radio, the kind that it takes a, a band to sing. And, and so some people would say, that's my kind, and the other kind is just old and outdated. And then other people say, you know, this, this new fandangle contemporary stuff, that's, it's irresponsible, it's repetitive, I just don't like it. I want to be able to have my hymn book. And back and forth, and, and I'm sure as I was talking, you already located yourself in that conversation. But it's, it's interesting to note, uh, or I think important to note, that everything was contemporary at some point. Uh, the hymn, uh, hymns as we sing them today, and, and generally in four-part uh, harmony, began to be sung in the middle of the 16th century. So between the middle of the 16th and the uh, middle of the 17th century, there's this growth in the singing of hymns. Uh, people did not have an Xbox. People did not have a TV. No one had any uh, subscriptions or cable or anything like that. And so you'd have these testimonies of people beginning to sing these newfangled hymns that were being popularized by these conservative and evangelical Puritans. I mean, that's what, that's what these hymns are. It's for those kinds of people, uh, right? Y'all are saying that's not right, but they said that's right. 
These are the people who would sing them, and people, people are singing them uh, in their homes, and they're singing them, and they're humming them at work. People can't get enough of these new-fangled four-part harmony hymns. And the people who enjoyed plain chant and, and other kinds of, of music were really, their feathers were ruffled by this kind of thing. Uh, in fact, I was reading one person uh, say, uh, and this person happened to be uh, a Baptist. This person said, singing hymns out of a book, looking at those musical lines and those harmonies quenches the Holy Spirit. He said because people are, their eyes are buried in their books trying to get the notes right rather than looking up and singing from memory and from the heart. It's really interesting how things change, right? It's a, today it's the exact opposite. Um, but, you know, hymns, uh, no matter how they came into being, spiritual songs, no matter what their formulation, my sense is I love it all. I listen to all of that music. I love the Gregorian chant every now and then. I, I'll, I'll do that. I love hymns. I love contemporary music. I love it all because at some point in, in church history, each of those have been controversial, and at some point in church history, each of those have been deeply loved. And I love it all. And I encourage us to have an open and generous spirit to love it all. As people seek to sing their faith, people seek to sing what they believe. And, and that's what we're talking about here as we consider this hymn, And Can It Be? How do we, how do we sing what we believe? And can it be? So in verse 3 it says, He left his father's throne above, so free, so infinite his grace, emptied himself of all but love, and bled for Adam's helpless race. Tis mercy all, immense and free, for oh my God, it found out me. He emptied himself of all but love. What a powerful image. He left his father's throne above. Another powerful image. Uh, part of the, the imagery of this verse in the hymn comes from the passage of Scripture that we read from earlier in Philippians chapter 2. I want to begin with Philippians 2, but I want to begin reading just a few verses earlier from where we began. Three verses earlier. Philippians 2 verse 3 says, don't do anything for selfish purposes, but with humility think of others as better than yourselves. Instead of each person watching out for their own good, watch out for what is better for others. Adopt this attitude that was in Christ Jesus. Jesus, though he was in the form of God, he did not consider being equal with God as something to exploit. Now let me pause, pause there. So in this, in this hymn, and in, in some of these verses were thought to be part of a, a hymn that the church sang, an early hymn that, that the Christian church sang. Saying as we talk about 
Jesus here in verses 6 and, and 7. As we look at this hymn, we learn something about Jesus as God, Jesus as human, so fully God and fully human, but we also learn something about the mind of Christ, what Christ was thinking, a, a kind of revelation of, of what Christ was thinking about. So not only full divinity and full humanity do we get here theologically, but we also get a sense of what Christ was, was thinking. And Paul leads into this by talking about humility. How can we be humble in such a way that we don't think of ourselves as better than others? Again, how, how much better would the world be if people stopped thinking of themselves as, as better than someone else? And in, in that same spirit of humility, Paul says, don't just watch out for your own, your own good. Don't just watch out for what you like and what you want and what's good for you. Spend time watching out for what's good for somebody else. And he says, as a way to illustrate this and, and also to talk about how this kind of thinking that he's encouraging is deeply Christian, Paul says, adopt the attitude that was in Christ. And so then the verses that are following help you to understand the attitude that was in Christ, the mindset that is uh, of Christ, that is Christ-like. Though he was in the form of God, the Greek word there is morphe, though he was in the morphe of God. So what does this mean? It doesn't mean just a, a physical form. This word speaks to substance. Though Jesus shared the same substance as God, just like God. Not just a, not just a similar, but the same, Paul is trying to say here. Though he was God, he also didn't consider um, being equal with God is something to exploit. He didn't, he didn't consider being God as something to walk around with and say, look, hey, I'm God, do what I tell you to do. Uh, I'm God, my way or the highway. This was not the attitude. It was a humble attitude that Jesus had. He emptied himself. The word there is kenosis. He emptied himself by taking the form of a slave and by becoming like human beings. Though Jesus is God, uh, God the Father we talk about, and then God the Son, God the Son, it's Jesus. Though Jesus is God, Jesus humbled himself to be like us. He could have easily remained distant from, from us. We can... We can see how this works just in, in, in our lives. Uh, if you've ever worked for a company that has any number of employees, uh, at some point, some uh, uh, level of employees will say, look, the folks at the top, the top brass just don't understand us. The C-suite don't get what life is like here in my department. And in some ways, there's this, there's this sense that people in the C-suite intentionally distance themselves. At least that's a perception 
from some as if there's this, this gap in between the folks who are at the, the, the higher end of the organization and, there's a, and the folks who are in the lower end of the organization. And this can easily be the case. Whether people in the C-suite mean to do it or not, there can be this, this distance that's created all across society, no matter who you're talking about, whether you're talking about uh, a government or where you're talking about uh, a class and, and economics, distance, distance. So Paul is saying, though, though Jesus could have remained distant because, my gosh, what's more powerful than God? Jesus humbled himself to be with us, deeply with us. When he found himself in the form of a human, he humbled himself by becoming obedient even to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God highly honored him. So because of Jesus' humility, God honored him and gave him a name that was above every other name so that at the name of Jesus, everything in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue would confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. And so what Paul's trying to say here is if we want to have the attitude that was in Christ, stop thinking of yourself as better than somebody else. Stop, stop thinking of yourself as being distant from somebody else, but start thinking of yourself as being close to others. In, in fact, do what you can to, to mitigate that distance, to cross those boundaries so that you can be close to those who you feel are distant. That's what Christians do. We don't, we don't create distance. We close distance in between one another. This is, this is kenosis, as the, the Greek says. And Paul illustrates this a couple chapters later uh, when he calls out two people. Now, gosh, you'd really hate to be a person that Paul calls out in Scripture that people are reading centuries and centuries later. But, but, but Paul is using this as an illustration. So there's these, these two folks, Yodio and uh, Synthaki, and they are having an argument over something. Uh, it's likely a, a preference of how things should be done or, or a preference around some kind of comfort, comfort zone in the life of the church. And, and in it we see, gosh, it's so easy for people to get caught up in disputes, disputes that distract us from the world. But ca Paul calls them into unity, reminds them to be in unity as part of this humble love that Jesus models for us and Paul reminds us of. Because it's really hard to be humble these days, right? We, we don't experience lots of humility in culture. Everybody's got their, their opinion. I had a professor who would, uh, who would say, uh, this is my humble and accurate opinion. I just love that. In my humble and accurate opinion, uh, so and he did it so that we'd laugh about it. But it's, but we kind of do that e even when we pretend to be humble. We really want to say, "Look, this is accurate. You need to believe exactly what I believe. You should you should see this exactly how I should see it. I'm right and you're wrong." There's so much of that in cultures. People go head to head. Not a whole lot of humility 
we see in our culture. But Christians are called to this kind of humility as we seek to emulate Christ. And so the, the challenge this week is the challenge to, to empty yourself like Christ so that you can be filled up just as God the Father filled Christ. Empty yourself so that you can be filled up. Sometimes we don't want to do what God calls us to do. Sometimes we don't want to, to empty and humble ourselves. We fear the heavy toll that it's going to take. We fear what it's going to cost us. After all, life is already ragged. Most of us feel like life is ragged and becoming more ragged because of the stresses that are uh, around us, the stresses that are in our culture. So many of us have, not intentionally, but we've been habituated into being very self-focused, very self-serving and, and self-giving because our society encourages us to do that, even, even couches it sometimes in, in caring for ourselves. And in so doing, we become more self-focused than other-focused. So we're inclined to choose ourselves over God. We'd prefer giving God directions and giving God or orders than the other way around. And we're worried that offering ourselves in the way that Scripture encourages us to offer ourselves won't really get us anywhere <laughs> because we want to be congratulated. Uh, we, want to be, we want to be noted for what we're doing. And we're worried that this way doesn't always get us to where we want to be in the world, this kind of self-emptying. But it is the self-emptying that we're called to. The Orthodox, Eastern Orthodox Church, talks about kenosis, emptying yourself, uh, practicing a discipline of self-emptying so that Christ, so that God can fill you up. And they call that theosis. So you move from kenosis to, uh, to this theosis. And this theosis is being made holy. It's being made into the image of Christ, humbling ourselves each and every day by emptying ourselves so that Christ, so that God can fill us up and, and glorify us just as he glorified Christ. Remember the scripture, after Christ emptied himself, therefore God highly honored him and gave him a name that was above every name because this is how it works in the kingdom of God. Father Stephen Freeman, an Eastern Orthodox priest, writes, if we are to be transformed from one degree of glory to another, then it is towards the glory of the crucified, self-emptying Christ that we are to be transformed. And he goes on to say, for there is no other kind of life revealed in Christ. Crucifixion and self-giving. There is no other kind of Christian life. There are other kinds of life. 
There are other philosophies and traditions that we can follow. But if we're following Christ, it is the uh, self-sacrificing, self-emptying life that is the Christian life. The life of humility that seeks to bridge the distance between myself and others. This is the life God is calling us to. And it takes practice. And it takes God. It takes God's grace and God's strength to get us there. But once we understand that life, we can understand this verse in the hymn that we've been seeing. He left his Father's throne above, so free, so infinite his grace, emptied himself of all but love. We learn to be like Christ and empty ourselves of all but love for the life of the world. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening to our podcast. You can visit us at universityumc.church where you can find services, events, and other ways you can get involved. Remember that we love you. We hope you have a great week. We hope the peace of Christ is with you, and we hope to see you soon.